Happy Sunday, Tampa Bay. We're with you for another week here on the Duncan Duo Show to talk about the Tampa Bay real estate market. I'm Andrew Duncan of the Duncan Duo, joined by Mike Corrigan with Cross Country Mortgage. And for the first time in what seems like forever, we are recording in studio here on WFLA News, iHeart on Gandhi Boulevard. So um, it's been cool doing the radio show in my garage. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's been cool. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad to be back in the studio and doing it here. I've got a di- it's a completely different surrounding doing it in my garage. I do have a pretty cool garage, but nonetheless, uh, getting back in the studio and, and uh, getting used to it today is uh, is a blessing. So yeah, I'm so it, glad to be back. It is. It's certainly good to be back and to be able to, to talk with you right here live rather yeah. than through uh, the virtual yeah, world yeah. That, that we've done it through. But, um, you know, it was nice while I was away and I'm glad we could do it, but it's good to be back. Yeah. And I'll tell you, it's interesting because it, it kind of ties into something I'm going to talk about. Um, you know, I, I look at the, the real estate stats that come out every month. Um, you know, I have a couple of calls that I do with different companies to, to kind of go over what I'm seeing going on in the market. And then we get contacted by the press and different things. And so one of the things that, uh, that I noticed um, in the stats and, and also in um, relocation trends, um, you know, for the last year plus, uh, we've had this massive movement of people to Florida. And, you know, there, you know, we've had a really polarizing political year. We've had a polarizing health year where health things are becoming political and, and there's so much controversy and debate about what you should do, what you shouldn't do, where you should, you know, all these kinds of things happening. And what it prompted was people in um, states that were more kind of locked down, you know, parts of the country that were more closed. It prompted this mass movement of people to Florida. And so um, when I looked at the, the, the stats, you know, and, and I'll go into them a little bit more detail, one of my hypotheses is about, you know, some of the slowdown in home sales in addition to the drastic lack of inventory. I mean, that, that's really the biggest part of it. Right. But uh, is, is fewer people, um, you know, fewer, fewer people from a percentage standpoint jumping ship in northern states and moving here because now northern states and western states are, um, are back open. Um, and, and so people that had considered it are now like, okay, I'm going to pull back the reins and, and I'm going to stay here in California or New York or uh, Michigan. Interestingly enough, I was just in um, you know Los Angeles. Uh, I got back yesterday. I was there for a week. And um, it's still much different than Florida, yeah. you know. So I mean, I'm sure there's still some people that are probably wanting to, um, you know, to go to an NBA basketball game. You have to have the vaccine to like, you know, masks everywhere. I mean, it is much different than Florida, but but I think it's at least open enough to where the mass migration we were seeing is starting to slow down a little bit. But in looking at the stats, this is the first month in a really long time where we've seen a year over year drop in home sales. Um, the number of sales. Now, we did not see a year over year drop in uh, prices. Right. Um, the average sale price in Tampa uh, was three hundred seventy-five thousand, roughly. Um, you know, for May, um, it was um, you know hovering in the uh, low threes last year. Um, it was three fifty something last month. So we're still seeing incredible appreciation um, and and you know prices rising and all kinds of factors coming to that. But all the data looks great. Um, but the first time we've seen a year over year drop in home sales and I, I attribute it to the number one reason for, um, that, that drop. And, and I want to say it was, it was like a 10% drop from last May to this May. Uh, the number one reason is inventory, right? Like for there's sure. 2,400 homes available for sale in, uh, in greater Tampa right now. There were 8,200 a year ago, like a 70% plus drop in the number of available homes for sale. So that that's a major contributor. And we, we've talked ad nauseum on the show about it. You've got builders not able to keep up. 
You've got people not leaving Florida. And then you've got also the, the other thing that was kind of a surprising trend. You have a lot of people that are, um, you know, moving up. And instead of selling like they normally are, they're turning those homes into rentals. Right. So that that's just, you know, so, so those things all point to the reason why. So there's no reason to panic that we have the first year, you know, monthly drop, you know, for year over year home sales because one month isn't a trend. We could see next month it could be drastically higher and find out that there was just a lot of closings that pushed. Yeah, and I think you hit on it with the stats. If you know eight thousand last year were for sale, and now we're at twenty four hundred, so that's you know a seventy five percent decrease. We in didn't number see a seventy five percent decrease right. in the number of sales, yeah. and we only saw a ten percent decrease. You know, in the number of actual sales yeah. that went through, it, it just shows that it's still incredibly strong. Yeah. And if we had more inventory, that it probably would have been up. But you know, you're still, you are starting to see people. It's you know, it's opening up now yeah. more so. How Florida was maybe six months ago is starting to happen in some of these Every other, other places. Every other area. So we're not seeing as much, but you still have. Like, so for example, the way I describe it is like the, the only demand that you really need is the ability to sell all the homes that hit the market, right? right. We're, we're at 0.7 months of inventory, which basically means, you know, every home is selling in like a matter of weeks. Um, you know, whereas a month or two months ago, we would see, you know, potentially 40 offers on a house. Now we might see 10 or 12. Um, a lot of people got discouraged. They bounced out of the market. They said, I'm just going to keep renting. Um, you, you have, I think, that segment of the population. You've also got people staying put in their in their northern markets. Um, you know that that's contributing. And then I think the uh, the other you know the other part of it um, is is you know builders and all these other people not keeping up with inventory. People deciding to rent homes. Hedge funds that own massive amounts of homes um, have done their research and contemplated selling, and then said, no, we're going to just going to keep buying and keep what we have. So there just aren't. You know, there's not this mass um, ability for inventory to get created. And and so I had someone ask me the other day, how long do I think prices are going to keep going up in Tampa? Like uh, they said, you know, at what point this year do you think that stops? I was like, uh, I, maybe at some point next year, maybe. Right. Um, simply because there's just to get the amount of inventory that is needed to fulfill and satisfy buyers takes a lot of time. We're not the stock market. We don't have these huge swings. It takes a long time to move that needle. Builders can't keep up. There's supply shortages, there's labor shortages, there's challenges getting things permitted. Um, and and so, you know, you had this backlog of, of you know, trying to, you know, kind of churn out inventory. So I, I think that's a, a major contributor. Though. Inventory is the biggest obstacle in the market. Yeah, and I think it's going to continue, like you said, into next uh, into next year, and the demand's going to stay up. And even if we could magically put all that, you know, that inventory out there today, it would still take a long time be, to go through, and correct. it can't be all put out there yeah. today. Yeah, and I think the other thing that I that I you know kind of you know because real estate is a slow moving market, it takes time for for the the needle to move. Um, I, I think that um, you know the the only the only thing that could slow things. Major, I mean, I'm talking like some major worldwide event, hurricane, sure. um, war, terror attack, um, you know, something like that. Knock on wood, we don't we don't have that happen. That's the only thing in terms of what I see for Florida. Now, there are parts of the country that are going to have some challenging parts of the market because they're losing population because they're. Um, you know their their prices have have got, you know gotten to the point where people are moving the tax scenario that's very polarizing right now, so I think there's there's no question that uh, the Florida real estate market is is going to be healthy for for a long time to come and prices prices are going to keep going up. I had somebody mention afford you know what about affordability? Well, even if prices rise, interest rates they're not I mean they're not going to 
they're going to have their ebbs and flows. But I don't see over the next couple of years, again, in lieu of some major economic event, I don't see some major change happening to interest rates. Right. And, and to add on that, what's also happening is incomes are rising as well. So right. incomes are keeping up. They're actually ahead of pace of where appreciation is. And so while, yes, the price of the home has gone up, rates have stayed low, and the monthly payments going up, incomes have rose at a greater percentage um, to be able to keep up with that. And remember, you don't have to use dollar for dollar right. you know, of income towards towards the housing payment. Yeah. And, and I think that the other side of it that, that people like don't quite realize is that um, you know th- there was this backlog of materials and and supplies that were available for builders right. and not just an increase in prices but you know warehouses and manufacturers running out of stuff I mean I had a fence done on my property and it was like a really basic fence and the materials were like oh it's like 10 weeks out I was doing cabinets in my garage and they're like oh we can order these but it'll be three months I'm like three months. Like I could build it myself in three. Are you kidding me? Like, but that's just what we're dealing with. And and so that couple month window, in some cases longer than that, where a lot of manufacturers shut down, really slowed down, you know, construction and the ability to complete homes. Um, and and you know, when I see builders increasing prices too, that's that's another reason why we keep seeing appreciation that people don't realize because you know, neighboring, let's just say you've got one house and in a neighboring subdivision where the houses are a couple years older. And the new construction homes have to keep jacking their prices up. Well, that's pulling the prices up in the resale community too. So, so that that is also contributing to you know our our rise in average sale price and appreciation. So, but I also think that um, you know when I looked at the stats, I was curious because you know last year was obviously such an anomaly that you have to like you know if, if you're if you're looking at you know year by year kind of stuff going on, you almost have to say okay. Maybe that was such an anomaly that we should look at the year before that stats and kind of sit and kind of compare and contrast right. those, and and still su- amazing growth. You know, all, all the all those things that were happening, the same kind of trend has continued. And I've looked at like the charts and the infographics comparing Tampa to other major markets, and it really is kind of an outlier. It's 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 one of the markets that has just had so much positive, where other markets in the country, there's at least maybe home sales are up. But inventory is increasing. People are moving out of the area. They're seeing population, right. you know, decrease. So I think, um, you know, again, we're gonna we're gonna continue to be healthy for a for a really long time. One one alarming stat to me: um, the average list to sell price percentage for the first time ever, like ever, above one hundred percent. Did it go? I, mean, I, I thought you were gonna yeah. say that, and I didn't ever. want to interrupt you and take like the it was, thunder. It was like one hundred point two, like ever. That's like crazy. that has never happened. Like, and, and, you know, so, you know, it's funny because look, we're guilty of it because, um, you know, my marketing guy here is recording us today and there's times we go like above ever, you know, above asking sales price. We sold this and above asking that was cool. Like a year ago, two years ago, like, yeah, we got 27 offers above asking. Now you could put like a beat up trailer on the market and you're going to get above asking. Like it, it doesn't matter what it is. It's going like the norm. Is above asking. So, do you think agents out there, and and, and you're the expert and know this market, are pricing lo- homes maybe lower than they think they're going to get, so that it can go above? You no, know, I'll tell you. I think that um, you know, uh, you know, we're up against a break. So, why don't we? I'm going to table that one, and okay. then when we come back on the other side, we'll we'll, deal, we'll delve into that because I do think that's a really good point, and it, it definitely is happening. But I think there's some. It's a loaded question that I'll kind of elaborate on a little bit further. So, uh, again, you're listening to the Duncan Duo Real Estate Show here on WFLA News. When we aren't on air, make sure to follow us on all of our socials. We are at the Duncan Duo, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, pretty much everywhere. 
and uh, make sure to follow us. We've got some cool contest giveaways and, um, you know, always putting stuff out about uh, local sports teams. And uh, we've got free movie ticket giveaways right now. So make sure you follow us on all of our socials at the Duncan Duo to uh, stay up to date what's going on in the real estate market. And we'll be back after a quick break here on the Duncan Duo Show. So we're back here on the Duncan Duo Show talking about the Tampa Bay real estate market. And uh, just before we went to break, Mike uh, hit me with a question. It was basically, are real estate agents um, underpricing homes intentionally to create kind of a bidding war frenzy? And I think that there are agents that do it. And I think there are scenarios where it might make sense to do it. Um, You know, for example, um, you know, home that needs work that may have issues with financing and you want to kind of drive the price to hopefully find a cash buyer. Sure. Um, You know, there are circumstances or issues where it makes the most sense. And I think the best real estate agents are analyzing all the data to determine, you know, is this the right situation for that or not? You know, when we sit down with home sellers, you know, we tell them, hey, look, there's there's really three different ways to price a house. You can price it above average or above asking or not above asking, but you can price it above market right. and provide room to negotiate. You can price it at market with the expectation that you're going to get around that number, or you price it below market to try and create a frenzy. So a lot of times it's really the seller's choice. At least that's how we present it. Okay. Um, you know, I don't know how every other company does, but but we give them options because it's really up to them. Do they want to do they want to sell it really really fast and be in the driver's seat of the market, or do they want to take their time and price it a little high and see if they can get closer to their numbers? So I don't think there's a right or wrong way to do that. I know that some customers, some buyers don't love when that happens, but it but it is a seller's choice. You know, it's a mutual kind of thing when the agent presents the options and the seller decides which which path to go. So, there are times where it makes sense and then, and then there are times where you'll see that it just is is like it's one thing to have like a $200,000 house that you price at like 190. It's a whole other thing to have a $200,000 house that you price at 150. Right. You know, like that to me is like pushing the envelope that, you know, like, so, but, uh, you know, look, unofficial auctions, it, 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 it's kind of a, it is a thing. It, it is happening. Um, and there's agents that will then brag about their stats because they priced $150,000. They priced a $200,000 house, 150. It sells for 205. And then they say, you know, I sold it for 32% above right. asking price, exactly. you know, literally right. because they yeah. underpriced it 25%. So but so it does happen, um, and and it it's um, it, it also it does cause some problems though. I think you have to be conscientious that unless you sell to a cash buyer, the home's got to appraise, right? And that appraiser sometimes is going to look at that, and and they're going to know like, look, they they see the hundred percent above a hundred percent list to sell price ratio. They they know that appreciation's rampant. They factor that stuff in, so they expect to see a home go above asking, but. When they see a home go that drastic above asking, if it's a finance deal, that's going to throw up some red flags, not just for the appraiser, but for the underwriter. They're going to look at that data and they're going to be like, well, wait a second. What was, what's the deal here? Is there some sort of shape, you know, what's right. going on, you know? So it does, it does cause some problems. Yeah. And, and, and you know, for the people out there that, that are listening, if you don't know this, the appraiser sees the contract sure. and on there and they can see the data of what it was originally listed for and then what it went under contract for. And they know what's going on in the marketplace and they're in tune with it. And so, you know, lots of times that may get them to give you a little bit less of, you know, the full value that's there sure. because they see the frenzy. That's and there's times on. where we have to, you know, tell an appraiser, hey, look, this is how many offers we got. Like this right. truly is a market based price because the market told us what it's worth. Yes. Like, And I think the best appraisers out there in the market and, and look, I know appraisers get beat up by real estate agents a lot. So I'm not going there. 
Um, I've gone there before. Yeah. But I'm gonna I'm gonna take the high road today and say that you know there are a lot of really great ones that do see what's going on and they understand. Hey, look, homes are gonna go above asking, and and there's a rational like I can't just look at a three month old comp. I have to f- take that three month old comp and then look at okay, what kind of appreciation have we seen? And I got to bump that up. To, to get the numbers close. And and so I think there are some good ones that, that forecast out and 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 do like a real analysis instead of just relying on what sold six months ago when, look, in today's market, six months ago is like, yeah. like years in, in past markets. It's, it's so much has changed. So there are some great appraisers that factor that in. But again, if it's a humongous disparity, um, you're going to have to really explain that and make your case to the appraiser. You're going to have to show all those offers and say, look, this is how much it got drove up. Um, and, and certainly, um, you know, the, the, the reality is, is that sometimes it doesn't quite appraise high enough. And, and so we have to have those conversations with sellers to say, Hey, look, here's the deal. It didn't appraise buyer can, the buyer can walk and then we're going back on the market. And then the, the new buyers could have concerns and, and all this kind of stuff. So there's definitely some, um, you know, some, some curveballs that underpricing it too much you know, can, can cause problems. Yeah, you don't want to, I just would hate to see them exacerbate the problem, right? That that is out there and do it on purpose to kind of drive that frenzy when right. it can cause unintended consequences. Yeah, and, and I think that's the key. So so again, a little bit under market, market slightly above market, not, you know, way under market. Right. You know, Those unless, are two you different t- things. unless you tabulate it in MLS as an auction, you know, maybe that's a no, re- you know, minimum, you know, reserve price. And that that's essentially what's happening with most home sales right now. They kind of do turn into an auction. But you don't really need to underprice it that much because it's in just I mean, unless you're talking like a way above a million dollars where the market softens some, you know, I lo- the other thing I looked at with the stats was, you know, by hundred thousand dollar increments and low inventory and high list to sell price ratio all the way up to like nine hundred thousand. Right. I mean, nine hundred thousand houses are selling for like ninety eight, ninety nine percent of asking price. You get above a million, it drops to ninety six. But but the reality is, is that in every price range in Tampa, that is still the norm. So, you know, it, it, it's just it's here to stay, you know, and, and it's going to continue. So we're going to be back uh, after a quick break. We're going to continue our conversation about the Tampa Bay real estate market here on the Duncan Duo Show. So we're back here on the Duncan Duo Show talking about the Tampa Bay real estate market. I'm Andrew Duncan. Uh, Mike Corgan with Cross Country Mortgage here with me. And Mike, we talked about the stats earlier in the show and we talked about how May in Tampa was the first time we saw a year-over-year decrease in the number of home sales. And, and, and again, major portion of that is due to inventory. We, we still continue to have – I mean, we're 70% less available homes for sale than we were a year ago. Right. But an only 10% roughly drop in, in sales. So relatively speaking, we're still kind of out – you know, we're still outkicking our coverage. You know, we still have a really robust, great real estate market. But throughout the country – uh, the National Association of Realtors and and uh, a lot of different trade groups track uh, existing home sales nationally. And existing home sales in May dropped for the fourth straight month nationally. So what that basically tells me is it goes back to what we were talking about before. For all for a whole variety of reasons, Florida and, and specifically Tampa Bay still continue to outpace the rest of the country in uh, home sales, appreciation, all these other trends. Because when you look nationally and you're seeing home sales drop, but we're not seeing that except for maybe one month, and that month may be an anomaly. We, you know, we'll know right. next month. Um, we're we're outpacing. We're out. We're we're basically outperforming, you know, national stats and trends. And it's and it's a reminder of why when you look at CNBC or um, you know some national publication that talks about real estate and they give you these national stats, 
just because that's happening nationally doesn't mean it's happening locally. Yeah, and that, that's a, a great point. And sometimes these national articles are difficult to read because of that. They just provide false information out there into the marketplace. And whether they're trying to incite fear or whatever else may be on there and some of the numbers they put out, and you can make, you know, sometimes you can make stats look how, how you need them to look, and you got to look local. And so that's why I love how you break down the local Tampa Bay stats rather than just go right to the national articles because it, it, it tells two different stories. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we've talked about that here today. Yeah, and I think that, you know, when you when you look nationally and you see that, you've got some of these enormous metropolitan areas that people are moving away from. And, um, you know, I, I think that because of this, you know, huge – um, you know, thing that we've been dealing with, you know, with COVID and politics and taxes and how polarizing last year has been, it's caused a lot of movement from from people. And so when when you hear these national stats, again, I'll have people be like, oh, I heard home sales are way down. It's like, oh, you're probably watching a national news source because they're not locally. Right. You know, they're not in Tampa. Maybe they are somewhere else, but they're not here. So I think that, um, you know, the, the reality is, is that, you know, the best source to get real estate information that matters to you is is as local as you can get. And and the local real estate agent, the local real estate broker, because we, we're not just talking about stats that are out a month or two ago. We're seeing stuff on a daily basis. We're tracking how many leads we're getting, how many offers we're getting. We're seeing stuff in real time. And when you're when you're paying attention to the news, it, a lot of times it's it's old data. It's right. two month old yes. data. Like I see Case Shiller data all the time, and they're like, "Oh, the Case Shiller data came out for March." I'm like, "Bro, it's June." Right? <laughs> like, why are we talking about? Why are you even like leading on the news with stuff that happened by the time that data that data is dead? Like you missed it. Like, yeah. but sometimes the data will come out, and it's just really old data, you know, or it's two month old data, or you know, it it just it really happens all the time to where people are using you know, discussions of stuff that was three months ago and making it seem like it's current now. And then consumers are making decisions based on bad information or bad data. That trend's already changed. Yeah, you know? they're and, using it to to kind of support their own narrative, whatever sure. they're trying to say. And, yeah. and that's why it's so important. And even we've talked about it before on the show, even within Tampa Bay, you can break that down even more local, right? The different neighborhoods, the different areas can have different trends going on. And that's why it's so important to have somebody that's local that knows the area and knows what's going on. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, the, the other part of it is that when you look nationally and you talk about national real estate stats, it doesn't take into consideration that interstate movement. It's a transaction no matter what, no matter where it is. It doesn't factor in, you know, people moving from one state to another because, you know, we're not getting... I can't say we don't get people that move from other countries to here because obviously we do, but not there's not enough movement into the country and out of the country for home buyers that that has enough impact, especially for the last year with travel and COVID right. and, and all that. So so the there really isn't anything that that helps you understand, you know, the real estate trends when you talk about national stats. You you almost have to compare and contrast, you know, the, the you know what's going on in local markets. It's kind of like you know, as a basketball guy or a hockey guy, it would kind of be like saying, you know, there were, you know, 97 goals scored in the NHL today. Right. Like, who cares? Like, no one cares about that. They care about did their, you know, is their team win? Is their local, you know, and it's the same thing with real estate. Like, the national stats would be like, let's just summarize how the National Hockey League is doing. No one cares about that. Right. You're right. Like, That's you know? a great analogy. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, when you look at sports teams, it's, you know, it's like. Of course, there were. There's 28 teams that played today. There were 14 winners and 14 losers. Like, duh. Yeah. You know how about <laughs> how about let's compare and contrast a little bit. I think that's where you know sometimes people forget to understand the difference between what's happened nationally versus what's um, 
you know, what's happening on a local level. Because real estate, and, and not just from a city or an area, but sometimes it's even just a neighborhood. Yeah. I mean, you can have one neighborhood right next to the other and have two completely different things going on. You could have a few foreclosures in the neighborhood. You could have all these things that happen. And then, um, you know, you're, you're, it throws things off, you know, to where you might think that things are great in Tampa. And maybe they are, but maybe your HOA community, your, your homeowners association is poorly managed. Maybe your condo association, you know, has a bunch of knuckleheads on the condo board that make decisions that make absolutely no sense. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> yeah. Man, I could talk. Oh my goodness. You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to go there. Like, so, so if you're buying a condo, right. Or a property in a homeowners association community, just beware that you're not just buying that structure. You're buying the leadership of the people in place making decisions that oftentimes won a popularity contest from about 10% of the people that live in the community that actually took the time to vote, um, you know, because most of them don't. And not only that, but you're, you're sometimes relegated to people making decisions that um, are making self-interested decisions that don't make business or financial sense. I can't tell you how many times like I've bought condos that, that we've renovated and flipped or I've bought condos to rent out. And, you know, this is what I do for a living. I mean, I've done it for 15 years. I, I can look at the data. I, I know this stuff, right? Like the back of my hand. And you're dealing with somebody that's never done anything in real estate. You know, their, 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 their primary job has nothing to do with real estate, but people like them. But that doesn't mean they're qualified to make the decisions for the community. And they make decisions that harm the community, that harm the values. And, and that's it, it, it happens all the time. So really be conscientious about that. Like, you know, we have buyers that will buy a condo and a year later say, I can't, these people are, this is crazy. I can't believe I can't do this or I can't do that or that they increased this assessment or they decided to put palm trees in or tell me I can't rent out my unit or, you know, you, you have to understand that when you're buying into a condo, you're buying a strict rule set and you're buying into the people that are making decisions. And again, I'm not bashing all the condo associations. There's right. some great ones. There's some extremely well-run ones where they make great decisions that have well-run communities with great financials and their units go up and you know they all the owners are supported and and all this kind of stuff, but there's some of them where it's just mind-boggling. I I could write a whole book about some of the stuff I've seen condo associations decide to do in communities that makes absolutely no sense for the owners, you know, at all. Um, and, and the other part of it, you know, buying into a condo that people have to understand is, um, you know, the financial implications that the, the association makes could cause your inability to get a mortgage could cause your inability to get a certain type of mortgage, Correct. you know, could, could underinsure the community. I mean, you are in a sense giving away a lot of your control of the asset when you, when you buy into a condo and look, it's right for a lot of people, but don't just, don't just inspect the condo and the walls and all that stuff. inspect what's going on in the community and, you know, inspect who's running the board and the decisions they're making and those kinds of trends. Because Mike, there are condo associations out there that have made horrendous decisions and you can't even get a mortgage in them. Yeah, absolutely. We see it all the time. And and a lot of it comes with the way they, they fund it, decide to budget it, right? Because they don't want HOA dues to go to a certain amount, but they other underfund it and we, we can't get a mortgage. They don't convince, you know, they qualify for a conventional loan and we see it out there. And you touched on one thing too. If you are out there and looking and buying a condo, make sure right in the very beginning, everything Andrew said is dead on accurate, but make sure you're reading all those rules and you understand what they mean because they will enforce them. That's uh, yeah. one of their favorite things to do sure. generally is the HOA is to enforce the rules that they have out there. And so it's important to make sure you you know what they are and you understand them. Yeah. 
And and again, look, and, and I'll tell you, like I said, there are a lot of great condo For associations. Sure. There's a lot of companies that do a great job. There's people, you know, in many instances that serve on those boards that are that have a servant's heart and wanna and wanna, you know, be a great steward for their community and, and help values and help kind of blend renters and owners and kind of make the best decisions they can. And then there's sometimes where it just does not make any sense. And, um, and, and in those situations, you have those financial challenges that could cause your inability to get a mortgage or that you own a unit in there and you're not needing to get a mortgage now, but guess what? You need to sell it. And they've made decisions that make it uh, unable for people to get a mortgage on your unit, meaning that your unit's going to sell for a lower price. And, and so, you know, again, it just, it really does matter. Like pay attention to that, look into it. Um, you know, there's financial implications, there's, you know, quality of life implications, uh, talk to neighbors, you know, like I lived in an HOA community a few years back. And I mean, I would get stuff like, I mean, I would get complaints. Like, it's like, there's people that literally have nothing to do. So they drive around to find stuff wrong and then write letters to the board. I mean, it's the most, like, I feel sorry for those people. They have to live a complete miserable existence to do that. And especially when it's stuff that isn't going to have an impact on values. I right. get like somebody's grass is overgrown and they got cars on concrete blocks in the driveway. Like, yeah, of course, logical type stuff. But like you have one limb of your palm tree that needs cut. Like, really, does, do you really need to send a letter? Like, right. Does it really need to waste a stamp? Like, it's going to get fixed eventually. Like, you know, there was a storm three days ago. Like, <laughs> right. take yeah. a chill pill and, yeah. you know, go home and, you know, watch Jerry Springer or Jeopardy or something. Like, seriously. <laughs> So anyway, um, we're going to the next segment. What I want to talk about FHA makes it easier for student loan buyers to yes. get a mortgage. And I, I think that, um, you know, you've got um, a lot of stuff happening with student loans that have prohibited people from getting mortgages yes. and caused a lot of problems for people. And FHA is, is making some steps. So we're going to we're going to take the last segment. We're going to talk about the changes with FHA mortgages and and how I think. Um, FHA is kind of leading the way here. I wouldn't be surprised to see other mortgage products and, and services kind of start to take this this um, trend of you know how they analyze and determine um, you know student loan debt because there's a lot of home buyers out there that are they're stuck because of stu- and, and there's also home sellers, homeowners because they can't move up. They're, they can qualify for what they have, but the student loan debt is keeping them from selling their existing to buy another home. So we'll be back to wrap up the show and talk about that after a quick break. Here on WFLA News. So back here on the Duncan Duo Show talking about the Tampa Bay real estate market. And um, FHA is making it easier for student loan buyers to get a mortgage. I kind of misspoke because Fannie and Freddie have already kind of moved in this direction. So FHA is kind of joining the crowd. Right. Um, But um, student loan debt has been a problem for home buyers for a while. But it sounds like, you know, a lot of the loan products out there have made and are making changes that will make it easier for people with student loan debt. Yeah, and FHA finally is kind of catching up with the times that are going there, and I can break it down for you, um, you know, pretty easily. So in the past, FHA, regardless of what you were paying per month that that was going to be on there, you had to take whatever the amount of the debt was and hit them for one percent of what the payment was. So if you had, um, you know, a ten thousand dollars student loan, you had to hit them for a hundred dollars a month, and so on and so forth. Even though they may only be paying forty-seven dollars a month, that's on there. We had right. to hit them for the one percent. It's going to be there. And so what the new rule says is that we can hit them for either a half a percent. Um, so instead of that being $100, it's now $50. So it makes it a lot more easier for them to qualify, which matches what Freddie Mac had done. Cool. Um, and it's going to be there. 
and or um, if they are on an income repayment plan, uh, meaning that there's the you know the federal government came out and said we know certain people have too much student loans, so we're going to base the payment based on the income that you're earning, so that it's affordable and it can be in there. So if you are on one of those plans, and a lot of people out there today are, we can actually use that payment amount, uh, even if it's zero. Um, that that goes out there to be That's able to cool. do it there, and and so it really caught people up, and it's going to make. I mean, student loans, like you had said, have have been really a thorn in the side for many people in in inhibiting them from buying a house. Yeah, and and I think that, um, you know, with that trend going into place, it'll obviously create some new buyers. Sure. But 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 you know, I hear people a lot of times, you know, get frustrated. It's like, oh, we don't need more buyers. We need more sellers. But what they don't realize is that you know there are a lot of Sellers that are also buyers. And buyers, right? There are people that own homes, like their starter homes, for example, and um, you know maybe the student loan debt was a hindrance on them moving up, you know, and, and maybe it caused them not to be able to qualify. So there, there are also some people that it will create opportunities for them to sell their home and move up, um, you know, because now they can qualify on a, you know, on a on a better you know, higher priced property, that, that sort of thing. So uh, I am seeing an alarming trend of people holding on to their homes though, and turning them into rentals. Um, One word of caution on that. And I I have personally made this mistake. If you turn your house into a rental, okay. When you, when you sell it as a primary residence, this is still in place. Okay. There's a lot of debate about whether or not it'll stay, whether tax provisions will change it. But as of now, it's still in place. Um, if you sell your primary residence and you've lived in it two out of the last five years, um, you can sell it and take your gain without paying taxes. Okay. So a lot of people are, are saying, you know what, I'm going to turn my primary into a rental. If they don't sell it before that two out of five runs out, then they're, then they're, they're going to pay the, the, the gain that they think they got by prices rising may get wiped by taxes. Correct. So be cautious about that. I have made that mistake. I've owned a property just past that period and and paid capital gains on it that basically washed away the the you know some of the chunk of gain that I'd seen by appreciation happening. So make sure you're paying attention to that. I I, I tend to think that um, you know obviously I'm a believer in rental property and and being a landlord. I, at one point I've owned you know dozens of of properties that that were rentals. So so I'm a believer in it. But you know I'm also a believer in in smart you know tax strategy. And and if you're going to um, you know, eventually sell that rental, maybe waiting isn't going to make sense. Maybe you wait a little too long and then you feel bad because you got a nice tenant in there and you're just going to hold on to it. And then you miss the boat and you missed the two out of the last five provision and you, you know, you get stuck with, with a, a tax bill on it. So again, just make sure you're paying attention to that, you know, analyze that data too, not just how much more money you'll make if you hold on to it and it keeps going up because look, it won't go up forever. It's, I mean, I'll tell you, you can book it. It's going to go up in lieu of a natural disaster, hurricane, war, terror attack, you know, all the major stuff. It's going to keep going up into 2022. So, you know, there's there's no doubt that's going to happen. But, you know, some people back, you know, a long time ago got greedy and they held and held and held. And then everybody tried to take their gain at once and it and it busts. Yeah, you know, trees so. don't grow to the sky, right? That's I mean, right. it's it, it you yeah. know, it eventually it's going to have to come. It's always been cyclical in our industry, um, and in, in the real estate market. But in the history of the United States, if you stay in it long enough, it's always gone up and and always, always will, will go up. Yeah, if you have enough time. So yeah. it all comes down to timing, and that's why you got to get with people that are experts. Yeah, no doubt about it. I think that uh, again, we've seen those trends. So there are people that are going to become landlords that will wait too long, that'll get greedy. And either get popped by the tax consequences, because here's the thing: two out of five may go away. 
Right. You know, you may be able to sell it now and not pay any taxes. That may go away and then you're then you're stuck, you know. So again, a lot of people holding on to their rental property right now because of expectations on price increases and, and all these types of things, um, you know, could could get bit, you know. And I'm just a believer in taking your gain when, you know, if you can if you can take a tax free gain, it's kind of hard to turn that down. That's that's my take on it. So again, you've been listening to the Duncan Duo Real Estate Show. We appreciate it. We will be here every Sunday at 10. Make sure you follow us on all of our socials at The Duncan Duo, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, and have an awesome rest of your weekend, Tampa Bay.